Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook with Brent Pasqua, Matthew Thiel, and Joshua Winterswijk from RPA Wealth Management. In this podcast, we cover current events, retirement planning strategies, and provide you with the tools to help you build a successful retirement playbook in any political or financial landscape. Join Brent, Matthew, and Joshua as they navigate the issues that can make the later stages of your retirement plan challenging and help you create the best retirement plan playbook. Now, let's get to the show. Well, welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Uh, I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner, and Joshua Winterswijk, certified financial planner. I think today we're just going to go with a different format, a little more open because the Silicon Valley bank issue has been a a tremendous story in the news for the last week and a half. And so I think there's actually a lot to talk about here. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, it's wild because literally I didn't have bank failure on my bingo card this year. And Silicon Valley bank is the second largest bank failure in U S history. And I, I think it's left a lot of people like really nervous, really scared. And they probably have a lot of questions. Josh, what happened? So Silicon Valley Bank had a very specific clientele. They work with startups and venture capitalists and really with interest rates going up, they had some internal risk problems. We like to use the words duration mismatch and they bought some long durated securities, mortgage backed securities and with interest rates going up and the startup world also being hurt by the interest rates going up it caused a recipe for disaster for this particular bank. So the Fed raising rates from zero to 4.25 in under a year finally broke something. It did. We were waiting for something to break, and it broke. It doesn't sound like a lot of the clientele of SVB was a lot of just normal people out there using the banking system. No, it wasn't. But if you go on Twitter... It's a bunch of Silicon Valley VCs retweeting people who were impacted and they do sound like everyday people, you know, who are just trying to make a living. But I think they're just trying to make themselves feel better because they kind of got bailed out. No, it's not everyday people. 80% of their deposits were uninsured, meaning they were over $250,000. That's right. not normal. So high net worth people that were people banking with them. Yes. This is like an exclusive club. It doesn't sound like they were the most like stand-up characters. It seems like there was a lot of people that banked with them that aren't like you know the most stand-up people in the, in any in industry. Yeah, and now even you look at their kind of board and CFO, very questionable players in that area. Was it the CFO or the chief risk officer <laughs> who was with Lehman Brothers? I think it's the chief risk officer actually, but that's not a good look. Yeah, that's not good. Um, but so Silicon Valley Bank, they went under and this has kind of caused a, a domino effect, right? Signature Bank then got taken out. Um, what was the other one that started with S? With, I, I keep thinking it's Signal, but it's not Signal. Silvergate. Silvergate, the crypto bank. Yeah. So then they got rescued. Um, is it First Republic? Yes. That one, in First Republic's in the news. They're in trouble now. That's a pretty popular bank, though, for retail clients. It, so it, if we're being like kind of more transparent. It is. That. And I think I was, I was reading about, I think they have a brokerage business too, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but so did you guys hear what happened? I mean, this is kind of like late breaking news as we're recording the show. It broke on Thursday, but that all the big banks got together and I think they deposited like 20 something billion into first Republic. Yeah. I heard about that yeah, to help restore even confidence. So the big four banks are bailing out all the regional banks. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Most of the big banks. 
That list is long. Is that just to avoid a bank run on their banks? So what I was reading about it, and I guess the big four banks have so much cash they don't know what to do with it. And so this is a way to, yeah, kind of stop the bank runs. But then also everybody's been going and opening up, a, you know, an account at Chase or an account at City, an account at Wells. I think it was over $10 billion Bank of America acquired in just a week from wow. deposits leaving other smaller regional banks. So what I don't understand what's happening with SVB, are, like, are they still going to have their sign on their bank? Or is that going to say, like, now FDIC or what? Like, who owns the bank now? Because <laughs> the they're getting billed out, but then they're still there. They can Their deposits are still there, but they can still op- they're operating. So employees must be working, right? Yeah, so actually, that's a really good, good point. Let's talk about that. Technically, Silicon Valley Bank didn't get bailed out. What the, what the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, and the Treasury did was backstop all deposit using the FDIC insurance. So, Josh, I believe, is it that all banks have to pay into the FDIC insurance? That's is, correct. Is, is that how it works? Yep. Yeah, to have it, you have to pay for it. So, it's kind of like an insurance policy. Yep. And that's what's backstopping all the uninsured deposits. But the, the common equity is getting wiped out. And as of this morning recording, they file, file Chapter 11. Mm. And I, I'm pretty sure most of the senior management team has been let go. And the bank right now, they're trying to sell it off, whatever assets they can. I'm not sure. They were looking for buyers. Yeah, yeah. And then last I heard, the bondholders seem optimistic they're going to get something back. I know the bonds are trading about $0.60 cents on the dollar. So there might be some assets there that they're able to recover. But it wasn't like a bailout like 2008 where all the stockholders and the bondholders got bailed. It was really just the depositors. Does Elon Musk want to come in and save another failing company? <laughs> I don't think he's going to touch this one. <laughs> yeah. he, he joked about it, but I think he's got his hands full with Twitter. Um, so Brent, like I, I know I was like really doomy about all this. Um, what have you been telling your clients to do? Well, I think the only important factor with all of this is just make sure that, you know, you're within the FDIC requirements, especially in a time like this, where there's a lot of more uncertainty in the banking system. Like it's my opinion, probably that nothing happens to any of the large banks, but you never know during this time. And it does make sense, I think, to kind of move some stuff around, especially if you're with one of the banks that are in the headlines, I would definitely make sure you're under the, the 250. Yeah, I've, I think we've always kind of generally given the advice, and Josh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but to tell, telling our clients, say, hey, like you should be banking with a big four bank. You're not going to get the greatest customer service, but like who cares? You don't need to be best friends with your banker. Like You're really just using them to store your money and transact your everyday business. Yeah, I mean, it's always been our advice that clients' major savings account, their emergency fund and where they want liquidity, is either in a, a savings account that's paying a high interest yield, and we generally recommend it to be under that FDIC requirement, or it's in a brokerage account where it's either in bonds or somewhat invested. I mean, I think you know this follows the recommendations of why we tell people that, because these things can happen. And these are like guidelines from like the CFP board. Certified Financial Planning Board that like assessing your cash management strategy and making sure you have proper coverage because there's also strategies out there that you can increase the coverage depending on titling and beneficiaries. Definitely, here's a good time to making sure that if you have large deposits somewhere else that you're using a very good reputable big bank. Um, and then also that you have enough coverage and reach out to your banker. I mean, they can be very helpful to making sure you know exactly what's insured and what's not. Yeah. So like one thing I, I understand, I understand why a business needs to have 500, a million, $10 million in an account, right? Like they're moving money all around. I get that. 
But like as an individual, like why would an individual even need to have above two fifty in a bank account? Like I don't understand that. Like what are they doing with the money? Down payment for a home is one yep. example. Yep, a lot of reasons why. Yeah, I mean, it could be there for a short period of time, but it's still there. That's true. I mean, but that'd be really short, right? Because really, at the end of the day, you're just waiting until you have to wire that money to the escrow company. But yeah. a lot, of, but a lot of people operate in big numbers. A lot of people transact in big numbers. It's not the everyday person, but there's a lot of people out there that are operating in big numbers. There's there is the business element to it. Misinformation as well. Like you shouldn't be having that much cash <laughs> if it's not a you know a particular. How many times do we also see people in a brokerage account or even in like an IRA or their four hundred one k that the money's sitting in cash or a stable All value plan, like account? Right. Like it's one of my biggest like pet peeves. Like. We needed to get that money invested, and the lack of information, unfortunately, is hurting those people with all of that money. And now, look at you're seeing the risk also, not just the lack of getting interest on those funds, but the risk of having more than you know the FDIC coverage. Now, I always look forward to your takes, Matt, because you know we come in here and we get the more you know dramatic side of it. <laughs> what what is your thought of bank runs? Like, are we at a point where it's pretty safe to say there's not going to be bank runs across massive banks because of the way that the government got involved? Or are we still kind of teetering the edge that these things still could happen? I think the only way to really answer that is to look back in history. And in 2008, I would say probably around this time, the biggest thing that happened was Bear Stearns going under and JP Morgan came in and saved them. Uh, I think they bought them for like $2 a share or something ridiculous like that. Ended up being pretty successful for JP Morgan. But that was really just like one of the first dominoes to fall. And then, it, you know, we had to wait until September for Lehman Brothers. You you go back to the savings and loan crisis in the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, banks were failing like every week at that time. And it's a kind of a, a similar time we're in right now where interest rates were skyrocketing. Like as interest rates continually go up, things are going to, you know, it took less than a year for the Fed to break something and they broke a bank or the banking sector. And different banks have different problems. Like there is some different variables. You know, not every variable is the same. Silicon Valley Bank is a lot different than like First Republic's issue. Right. So I think that interest rates moving up so quickly is going to expose some of these risks and different types of risks that banks have. And now we need to be more mindful, you know, of this industry because I do believe you and I think it's a good point is that there's going to be more fallout from this. Yeah. And that's why too the regional bank stocks, I think the index is called like the KRE that everybody watches. That's why they were going up and down, you know, 20, 30% a day because they're getting re-rated. There's like a non-zero risk that they might fail now. For people that are listening though, why, what is the purpose of so many regional banks? Like why are there so many out there? I, I've been trying to figure that out. I think it comes down to like some people like the service of a homey bank. I don't know, Josh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. In some, in some of the national banks, I mean, they're just not located in certain areas. Like they, it's not profitable for them to be in certain areas. So regional banks play a good role in that. And they, they actually provide again, a little bit of a different service, maybe a more hands-on one-to-one kind of attention, like you're saying, but then also, I mean, there's opportunity there, right? So if you don't have a bunch of national banks in your area, regional banks step in and look, there's opportunity for profits there to serve like my community. And a lot of clients, um, and even from my experience at the bank, they like to have multiple banks. So even if Chase is in your town, you know, I also want to have money at, you know, ABC Credit Union or First Republic Regional Bank. I feel more safe doing it. 
Yeah, so I was talking with a banker. I think he works at Fifth Third. Um, he's in a networking group I am in. And he was saying that, you know, across the industry, it was pretty much known that Silicon Valley Bank would take pretty much any company, do any deal, no matter how risky it was. So most likely, these are a lot of businesses, too, who are using these smaller regional banks who, you know, J.P. Morgan or Citigroup or Bank of America, you know, just really don't want their business. And some of them are niche. Right. Like, right. I mean, like Silicon Valley Bank is extremely niche right. of what they do. And a lot of these regional banks do have some sort of expertise. What I'm confused on, though, on this whole Silicon Valley banking thing is like Silicon Valley is like known as kind of this tight boy culture, right? Like a bro culture. You know, once you get in, you're in, you start sharing deals together, you, you sell your company, then you go start a VC fund. Like, where were the venture capitalists on this? Like, they're supposed to advise these young founders on what to do. Uh, and a lot of them are pretty wealthy. And so they're advising their founders to keep, you know, multiple million dollars above the FDIC insurance. That, that was always the thing that just hasn't clicked with me on this. Like, it's like they're getting really bad advice from these VCs. And maybe just the 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 people that were banking with them didn't know what internally was going on because if you're not on the board or you're not in like working for senior management, do you really know what's going on with the books? No, not at all. And so that's probably where the problem lies is they're trusting in the good old boy club that everything at the bank is stable and they're doing the right thing that they're not probably taking risks. That's what I would probably think. Yeah, and, they, and they don't, that wasn't a concern at all. Right. You know, whatsoever. And, and look at how surprising it was even to us and how quickly it happened. And they've had so much confidence, like you said, in like the good old boys club that no real foundational planning was ever done on the business side. And then I also would have thought, hey, we're having bank runs, right? I would think the stock market would be crashing right now. Absolutely crashing. But it is pretty isolated. Yeah, that's my yeah, that's my point. The market's up this year. But there is there really that big of a fallout? The government came in and saved them. They're they insured all deposits. The bank's going to be done. They'll have somebody come in and take it over. And what's the real fallout? You could even make the argument that Silicon Valley bank deposits are the safest deposits right now. Yes, they're 100% insured. Yeah, I just moved $10 million. Get <laughs> <laughs> the government to, to back my deposits. <laughs> you know, one of the other questions I think we've received is, you know, what's happening with brokerage accounts or investment accounts or if your money is in Fidelity, Schwab, or any other custodian account, like that money that's invested, those are ownerships of shares. Like that money isn't invested in a bank account or deposit account. Those that money actually owns the shares. Your money is not sitting in the money market account or checking account or savings account. A lot of times, unless you're holding more money in cash, but we always recommend being under that FDIC requirement, regardless. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the same thing. The cash accounts are treated as bank accounts. Um, but as long as you're under the FDIC limit, you're good. Everything else is a security. As long as you know you own a bond, you own a mutual fund, you own an ETF, you own Apple stock, you own Tesla stock, whatever it is. Yeah. It's a security, marketable security. But a lot of the brokerages, though, and, and it's good to even go back and review your brokerage because they've become under a little bit of scrutiny because they do act like banks in a lot of ways, right? So they are a brokerage investment company. But they all have, they all have bank arms now. They all have cash sweeps. They all have deposit accounts. They all have lending. That's another thing we're monitoring here in in our house. For us, I think the first step was, you know, once the news came out, we made sure all of our clients were okay, right? We made sure that we got the advice out appropriately to make sure clients, you know, during this time of volatility, just be under FDIC. Like that's most critical, of course. Um, and then besides that, like once we made the clients 
make sure that they were okay. I think the most enjoyable thing is watching the news because it's just like constant panic all over Twitter, <laughs> all over CNBC. It's like the ratings just probably skyrocket through the roof. Matt and I talk about it though. I mean, it's, it's a interesting time and there's more to learn when things are breaking and changing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so funny too, when you get to these kind of like crises though, like, and people get glued to CNBC, CNN, like the guy giving trading advice on CNBC, like, dude, he doesn't care about your 401k. Like he's not talking about like you switching your Vanguard target day retirement fund. He's talking about probably the few thousand dollars he's day trading in his E-Trade account. That's what I always wondered. Are they talking when they're talking about the stocks they're trading? Are they talking about a hundred thousand dollar in a stock position? Are they talking about like, you know, they had 10 shares of it? They're paid as entertainers. So like I'm thinking they're talking about 10 shares, if anything, or they're talking about a fake account. (laughs) And for today, yeah. I mean, it's always today. Today, they loved Microsoft. Tomorrow, they hate it. <laughs> well, I didn't know that CNBC a long time ago made a ruling that the people that are that host the show, the people that work for CNBC, they cannot own a stock portfolio that they actually trade in. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, since they're reporters. You'd think that'd fall Scott under our politics. can't have his own nope. trading account. It's nope. a it's a shame we can't get Congress to do that, right? Yep, I know. Nancy Pelosi, best trader in the world. Because they're also like investigative, right? I mean, they're they're journalists, so they're investigating all of these stories all the time too to to stay in the know. Right, makes sense. Yep. Key takeaways for clients. Anybody got them? Standard FDIC. Josh, review your banks. Go back. Make sure you got a, a big four bank. Yeah, big four bank for sure. Um, outside of that, probably a nothing burger for most yeah, people. Yeah, don't panic. There's probably not a lot here unless, you know, this got catastrophically worse for some reason that's unforeseen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys want to talk about something else? Yeah, I do. I actually want to talk about Tesla. Ooh. We got some price drop in Tesla? They've been cutting prices all year. It's just the most expensive cars are now being cut. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, uh, in a way, I feel bad for the rest of the, the car makers trying to catch up to Tesla, though, because every time Tesla cuts the price of their cars, it makes, one, gasoline cars more and more useless, and two, like these other companies like GM, Ford, Kia, who are trying to get their own EV line started to compete with Tesla, makes those cars kind of not comparable. Yeah, they're kind of changing the game, and it is making them you know struggle a little bit more. But like this story about you know the Model x and s being cut like these were their most expensive cars and they what only accounted for five percent of like their sales so it's really not that you know it wasn't cars that a bunch of people were out there buying but what's wild though too is before i want to talk about on the show a few months ago they cut the price of the model y that was huge though. that was a really big price cut and they got so many requests that they actually ended up raising the price a few days later brian what do you think about this i want to know if you're going to buy one <laughs> that was going to be my question <laughs> Um, no, it, it's just too expensive to finance things right now in this country. They tease you with a five or 6% rate on the website, but it sounds like most people are getting auto loans done at seven or eight. Go to your credit union. 5%, man. I don't have a credit union. I, be, I bank with JP Morgan and they don't talk to me. I don't understand if they're teasing you, if they got a better rate than the banks and why wouldn't you just finance through Tesla? Uh, no, I'm saying that's a teaser, teaser rate most likely. Like it's, uh, once you run your credit, they're going to bump it up low. I mean, I have good credit, so probably mine will be around five and a half. So did six. you go f- that far with looking into one? No. Are you going to do it? No. What if rates come down and they raise prices? Rates are coming down. Okay, and Tesla raises prices. So you're saying it's like a bond? It's an inverse relationship? <laughs> probably. Easy money. No gain, no loss. 
All right, let's anybody anyone else? Let's move on. Um, did you guys see that GM offered to buy out the majority of their salaried workers who had I think more than ten or eleven years experience at the company? This I would assume is some good news, right, for the economy and for rates. Yeah, and I, I think it's like really relevant to like a lot of our clients or a lot of people who are getting close to retirement because like this is one of the things you want, right? Like you want your company to come to you and, and with a buyout package. Yeah, we have a lot of people that are probably one to five years away from retirement. I mean, this is this could be a snowball effect of what's to come. Yeah, would be great. You get the buyout package, you know, maybe it could buy you an extra year or two of early retirement that you couldn't have. Some of it is, though, it's like a, a nice way to say we're laying off people. Yeah, this is a very nice way to say that. Because <laughs> I think they offered it. It wasn't even just to re- like retiree age. I mean, they were offering people to leave Non, I think I only had to be there for what five years or something like that. This article said I could be wrong. Twelve years experience. Is it twelve? Yeah. Oh, okay. That but that five. that does. I mean, you could be thirty in your thirties. Yeah. Okay. And you could be. You know, they can be giving you a golden handshake to go somewhere else. Yeah. You take a year off. You go travel to Europe. You hit your job. Asia, then you go back and get hired by Tesla. But Meta reported <laughs> this week that they were laying off ten thousand people. And so, Meta did. Yeah. I mean, this now you have GM. I mean, hopefully we're getting in a position where unemployment for rates purposes is starting to go up. Then you also have other companies hiring. It's a very interesting economy we're in right now. Inflation. Yeah. Let's touch on inflation. I mean that we just got the report. I think this is worthy of a hot take headline today. Yeah. So it cooled, right? But it's still too high. It's like a six point something percent. So I, I think the fed's in trouble here. Inflation at 6% is not good. It's coming down. Um, I know the, I think it's, is it the Michigan inflation reading or whatever that people like to look to as a forward indicator is, is priced at like 3% for the whole year, um, which would be pretty in line with what the Fed wants. But the Fed has a really interesting decision. By the time this podcast comes out, I think we'll have the March interest rate decision. But for a long time, they were saying, hey, we're going to keep raising rates aggressively. And before the Silicon Valley Bank thing, it was kind of being priced in in the market, in the rates market, of a 50 basis points rate rise. That said, now it's kind of like 50-50 chance. Uh, but they got their back to the wall. Powell's like, on one hand, he's got to either look at it and say, okay, I'm going to choose financial stability. Right? Like, I need to calm this down. Like, banks failing is not good for me. But also, inflation at 6% is going to be really long-term damaging to the U.S. economy. Yeah, and I feel like they got their event. Like, they got their event. They were waiting for something to break, you know, that had a little bit of a trickle-down effect. And they're getting it. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do next. Because you're right. They, you know, it's a double-edged sword. This Fed has been so behind the curve, though. They're always behind the curve. For the last year and a half. They they literally let inflation run up and didn't raise interest rates. They're still buying bonds for like a year. So was the crypto market that pretty much collapsed last year sort of like the appetizer of like the banking collapse of this year then? Uh, Most likely, yeah. A little bit, but also, I mean, FTX was (laughs) just fraud. (laughs) There's a lot of outright criminals in... um, crypto for those who don't know Jerome powell's the chair of the federal reserve in the united states my, I, I wonder if he's sleeping no he's not sleeping no he doesn't no look like he's sleeping if you're watching cnbc when he's on yeah he he looks like he's grinding textbooks or trying to figure out what to do and he's getting pulled in a lot of different directions i do have a take on this though as well just as far as the fed and inflation is that the silicon valley bank story though 
like totally pushed inflation num- the number and the report to the curb. Like it wasn't even really talked about at all. Like it has been in previous months. It was the hottest headline. Um, but this banking story completely overshadowed inflation reporting. We used to month. lead our shows off with inflation. And look, we're talking about it like towards the end of the show. Now. I think it's almost the end. <laughs> what if you were Powell though, what do you do now? You got to raise. What would you Josh? Pause. And he's he's really teetering a thin line. He rose rates way too late, and he's going to be in a position that he can look back and say that he didn't pause soon enough. So I know you guys make fun of me for having predictions, but here's my prediction. Them backstopping Silicon Valley Bank, they did it so that they could raise rates more. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, because what what is the the fallout then if the bank doesn't fail and depositors are made whole? Yeah, we're just right where we were a few months ago. Right, but the alternative was the bank fails. It's a massive crisis. You still have high inflation, and now you got more banks potentially getting run on, and now you got an even bigger problem, and you can't raise rates. That's it, a good point. It's probably in between 25 basis points. There it is, listeners. <laughs> uh, if, if it was me, though, I'd pause. Yeah, I'd pause and let the dust settle a little bit more and, and let things kind of calm. And selfishly, probably markets react really well, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's from a selfish <laughs> standpoint. I want to see the markets go up. <laughs> Did you guys see this um, story about TikTok? Like this thing's like constantly in the news and I just don't know where this is going to end up. It's kind of like this constant threat that they're going to ban TikTok in the U.S., but nothing's been done yet. They're obviously using users' data for benefit, for their own benefit. So is something going to happen here? Yeah, so I think the big thing is, right, like the TikTok is a Chinese company. It's not an American company. Like I tell that to people who like use the app. They're like, oh, have you, I love TikTok. Are you on TikTok? I'm like, no, it's a Chinese company, man. I'm never going to go on that thing. And like they don't know that. But yeah, so it's, TikTok is most likely stealing Americans' da- data and feeding it to the Chinese government. That's kind of been like the thing when people look at the source code of the app. So I think uh, Donnie Trump, you know, the ex-president, he, he was kind of the one that started pushing this forward. And now it's picking up more and more steam in Congress. And, you know, it looks like they're going to do some kind of ban. But it's not like a ban. What they want them to do is sell the U.S. business to a U.S. company. And, like, separate from China. Because right now there's no one stopping them from sharing all of your data and information that comes from that app from your phone. Right. Yeah. But, like, I'm a little bit more extreme on this topic. Dude, China really doesn't let our tech companies do business in China. So why are we letting them do business in America? Yeah, I 100% agree. Me too. And also, uh, I mean, they already banned it, right, from U.S. government devices, media devices. And I think the U.K. followed. This is getting, like, it's picking up steam. It is. And it's good for American companies. Like, I know Snapchat stock went up on this. Meta stocks, Facebook's been going up on this. Like, America first. Yeah, and if Chinese steals their own people's data, like, who knows what they're collaborating with our data now mm-hmm. and i'm surprised though there hasn't been like a new player that's entered the market kind of like capture tiktoks because i know it's, it's a little unique when you compare it to like instagram and i don't use snapchat so is tiktok and snapchat pretty similar i don't use snapchat either though yeah. i'm more on instagram and twitter honestly we don't need another social media device like these kids these kids who are on their phones <laughs> like go outside go touch grass we don't need more social media get off that yeah pick up a ball do something different yeah the, that's not good for your brain no, it's not. It's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Um, okay, let's move on. What's you have next? any rec- uh, recommendations, RPAs? Oh, I do. RPA I have a, recommends. I have a really good one. You guys watch the Oscars? I did. Academy Awards? Brent? No. Oh, come on, man. 
I didn't even turn it on. So I real quick that. before you start, my wife and I fill out our like Oscars bracket and we basically pick the winners of all the categories and we've been doing that for like five or six years. And um, you're good at this, right? I'm awesome at it. And she gets so mad. I've beat her like five years in a row. And, but I have a strategy that she calls cheating. I look at the Vegas odds of all the categories before I fill out my bracket. Smart. And she gets mad. That's not cheating. That'd be like, that's how I fill out my March Madness bracket for the first round. I understand. See, you guys just need to explain this. I try to explain it to her. She just calls me a cheater. And then she gets mad that I beat, beat her every time. You're just using information to your advantage. Exactly. See? Okay, so continue. I want to tell that that story real quick. But go. Oscars. All right. So everything, everywhere, all at once won like every award. Yes, they did. And I watched the movie, and it was the strangest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and I hated it while I was watching. It took me two days to finish the movie. It was very wild. I mean, there was parts where like they had like hot dog fingers. They were like teleporting all over the world. Like it's just a very odd movie. I didn't even know what was going on for like the first 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, I watched the whole movie and barely even figured out what was going on. <laughs> I still don't know what's going on, what happened in the movie. But, um, you know, it was pretty good. It was very unique, very creative. But my point is, after I took a few days to think about it, I think it sums up 2020, 2021, and 2022 really well. Remember how, like, a year ago, I was on those podcasts talking about digital horses, NFTs, cryptocurrencies, and all those weird oh, stuff. Oh, we haven't Top forgot. Cards. Yeah, like trading basketball fake um, cards eight monkeys what are yeah. they called the yellow monkey that's everything everywhere all at once sums all that up just like a wacky movie for our wacky world it is it is a, a really good movie for like the times we're in absolutely so i'm so confused so you guys didn't understand what was going on at all in the entire movie you don't understand what the point of the movie is but it was a good movie <laughs> no, no 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 it wasn't good at all <laughs> I don't, i'm not even recommending it uh, no, i actually, said it was a good movie no i recommend watching it because it is very very unique the film editing in it is just absolutely crazy and i think that it does have a like a pretty good message from what i got from it at the end but it's just while you're watching it it's like so many things going on and so many like different screens and cameras and it's just everything everywhere all at once and so i do i do think it's worth watching so i'm confused is your recommend to go watch the movie you didn't like (laughs) yeah okay uh i'll go next i have a recommends uh do we talk about mls season pass yet on here no but it's great Okay, so my recommends is the MLS, the Major League Soccer season started. And as you know, we're all LAFC fans on this podcast. And Apple bought the season pass right, so like for you to be able to watch all the games throughout the MLS season. And Apple did like a great job. The platform's great, the content's great, like the the camera, everything is really, really good. So my recommends is is if you like the MLS or you like American soccer, go out and buy this because Apple did a great job. The nice thing about it, too, is it doesn't have local blackouts. Yes, that is. I mean, so our teams are on there with just great quality because the quality from MLS, some of those games like on channel, like the local channel and the quality was awful. Yeah, I was watching the Champions League. The, not the real Champions League, you know, like the fake Champions League over here in North America. Yeah. So, what are they called? CONCACAF. The CONCACAF Champions League. The quality was so poor. Was yeah, that was Apple. rough. It's bad. Like you came in, the camera's not even in the right angle. Have you watched a game on MLS Pass yet? Or uh-uh, Apple TV? No. Yeah, it's it's really good. So that's my recommends. Go it, out and get, and get And it's not it's not that expensive. I think it's only, what, $80 or something? Yeah, it's so good. So good. Uh, my recommend is uh, New Era released their 
baseball world classic hats. Oh, you're bringing it back. This yeah. is your teaser from 20 minutes ago. Yeah, and I wanted to represent my country. I bought a USA hat. I uh, bought one for my son. I more bought it because my son's so into baseball. Like, I want to wear a hat with him. I also want him to have, like, a hat to go to school with. But they look really cool. Like, I, I bought one. I think they're all, most of the country's hats for the World Baseball Classic look awesome. So if you're a baseball fan and you want to represent your country, I think it's a great hat to go out and buy. And, you know, they're relatively inexpensive. You know I, whose hat doesn't look good? Great Britons. <laughs> you know what? That was trending, and I had got a lot of text messages from the base by baseball friends that their stuff looked awful, and it was bad. You know why? Because they don't play baseball. <laughs> the USA hat's nice. You yeah. showed it to me. That's a really nice hat. Yes. That's something I'm interested in. Yeah, I, I don't know who created, like, who did the marketing for Great Britain, but they clearly did not spend any time on it. I don't, I don't think they're a baseball country. No. No, no, no. They're not. Do we have anything else to say? No, I think we're good. So as advisors, our passion lies with assisting others, which is, you know, driving force behind our work. If you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. We also have a copy of our ebook on the website as well. And we can uh, put the show notes and head over to Retirement Plan Playbook to, to, to access those. We appreciate you for tuning in and listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Click the following button to be notified when new episodes become available. To get in touch with our team, call us at 909-296-7977 or visit our website at www.rpawealth.com to schedule a complimentary consultation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RPA Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.